0: Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome back to the emotional intelligence series that we're doing on everything related to the EQ framework and At this point, I suppose I would have the intro episodes done, the kind of general ones, those two. And hopefully if you're following it, you would have listened to the interview with Dr. Zelda Balassi on the self itself. Um, And as you know from listening to that, or if you haven't, maybe check it out. I wanted to talk about the self in detail before we dive into each individual competency of emotional intelligence, certainly on on the first half of this series, because a lot of it focuses on self-awareness, self-control, self-management. The self is very much at the center of it, and I thought that would make it uh, a better understanding for you when we deep dive into self. So check out that one with Dr. Zelda, and hopefully you enjoy it. So, So this is the first of probably two parts of the area of self-awareness that I will go through and then the next uh, episode after that we'll come up with an interview around um, assessing your emotional intelligence, which is very important, getting a baseline. But in this one we're going to talk about what is self-awareness and then looking at awareness versus self-awareness. What's the difference between just general awareness and self-awareness? We'll talk about consciousness and then try to understand or pick apart why self-awareness is important. And it definitely is. For me, it's the the foundations of emotional intelligence, the foundations of getting yourself into a really good, strong place to layer on all these other competencies and develop them. The benefits of having improved or increased self-awareness. And we will talk about why it's so difficult to become more self-aware. I'll mention some key concepts and explanations words like metacognition, uh, the term emotional awareness, and another one that I'm very much a believer in and try to kind of rein myself into a lot around this idea of locus of control. Talked about it before, but we'll touch on it again. We'll give some examples, and of course, like all these episodes... We'll take that kind of approach, but we also want to give you a ways of how to develop it, give you maybe ideas, initial starting points on how you can develop your self-awareness. And at the end, I'll mention a couple of books, maybe TED Talks, uh, other podcasts, and put links in the show notes to all of that. So that's the general flow for this one. Let's dive into it. So I wanted to start this one by mentioning a couple of books and articles that I think are useful and relevant to the idea of self-awareness. The first one is a book I talked about last year uh, on one or two of the episodes that I did, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Noah Harari, amazing writer and has put out some other amazing pieces of work as well. But in that book, chapter 19, he talks about education and he mentions that there's so much uncertainty in life and we don't know what life and work will look like or entail in 20 years and 10 years and 50 or 100 years for sure and that makes life difficult for parents for the first time in history they have no real way of potentially equipping their children for adult life and students Harari believes that they don't need more information because enough of that is coming at them they need to learn how to assess it, understand it, synthesize it, as he says himself. Everyone in the future will probably need greater abilities to collaborate and to create. And above all, they need to know how to adapt and change to the rapidly changing world that we're we're living in. Harari regards self-initiated learning based on developing deep self-awareness as critical for young people in the early 21st century. And again, I think I might have touched on the last one. How much of self-awareness or emotional intelligence work has been done in primary or secondary schools? Are we teaching our our kids that, those soft skills? Or is it all about IQ still? Maybe there's a move. Uh, the needle is starting to move a little bit, but definitely more and more to come uh, will will bring value for sure. My view, definitely, to go deeper into the self-awareness area is key. gives you a better personal understanding of what's going on for yourself and also as you start to do that you'll open up doors into understanding how others are feeling as well. So I think that's important and I will probably repeat it a lot over the next while. Secondly, and this is from an article that I took from uh I'm not sure Forbes or something, but it's it's referencing a book called Insight by the organizational psychologist Tasha Yurish. And Tasha is actually going to be a guest on the podcast very soon. Excited about that one. She is a New York Times bestseller and writes predominantly about self-awareness. So we'll go into a lot of detail when we talk with her. But just a nugget of information I took from that. Self-awareness. By analysing people who have drastically improved their self-awareness and exploring hundreds of studies, she explains why we have such big blind spots and how to change and develop them in a survey in a series of surveys yurish found that 95% of people think that they're self-aware but only 10 to 15% truly are so i think we have a, a a bias going on there she cites three reasons for this disconnect first we naturally have blind spots we're wired to operate on autopilot unaware of how we're behaving and why And there's also the feel-good effect. We're happier when we see ourselves in a more positive light. She calls the last factor the cult of self. The idea that we've become more self-absorbed as social media has exploded in popularity. So she gives a few examples there and it's just touching on the whole idea of self-awareness and the fact that we're probably giving ourselves a lot more credit than we uh, should get when it comes to that area. Okay, let's define what self-awareness is. What is it? Simply put, self-awareness is an awareness of the self, with the self being what one's unique identity is made up of. These unique components include thoughts, experiences, and abilities. The psychological study of self-awareness can be first traced back to 1972. That's not that long ago when when you kind of look at it that way. Psychologists Shelley Duvall and Robert Wicklund developed the theory of self-awareness. They proposed that when we focus our attention on ourselves, we evaluate and compare our current behavior to our internal standards and values. We become self-conscious as objective evaluators of ourselves. So we're looking inwards for sure there. In essence, they consider self-awareness a major mechanism of self-control which is the next section of emotional intelligence that we go into, self-control, self-management, self-regulation. Psychologist Daniel Goleman has another definition, and he's the, the main man uh, when it comes to emotional intelligence. He proposed a popular definition of self-awareness in the book, Emotional Intelligence, as knowing one's internal states, preferences, resources, and intuitions. This definition places... More emphasis on the ability to monitor our inner world, our inner thoughts, our emotions as they arise. And in my view, it is important to recognize that self-awareness is not only about what we notice about ourselves, but what we notice about uh, our, our inner world and monitor that closely. More from Goldman here. As we notice what's happening inside us, we can acknowledge and accept them as the inevitable part of being human, rather than giving ourselves a hard time about it. And he hints, if you have ever said to yourself, I shouldn't have or I should have done that, then you know what I mean. Next time you are judging something you said or did, consider this question. Is what I experienced also a chance to learn and grow? Have other humans possibly made a similar mistake and learned from it? Self-awareness goes beyond accumulating knowledge about ourselves. It is also about paying attention to our inner state with a beginner's mind and an open heart. Our mind is extremely skillful at storing information about how we react to a certain event to form a blueprint of our emotional life. Such information often ends up conditioning our mind to react in a certain way as we encounter a similar event in the future. And that kind of goes into the idea, if you've read that book, Thinking Fast and Slow, Kahneman's seminal book, I think it got a Nobel Prize, but it talks about the, the brain being slow and fast. The slow part is the lazy part that it doesn't want to. It sees patterns and it, it makes judgments. And, and similar to what Goldman is saying there, if you're taking that beginner's mind every time, you're not jumping to conclusions so quickly. And that blueprint that has been formed, you know, doesn't necessarily mean it's right every time. So it's being aware for uh, for different scenarios coming up and, and not making jumping to con- conclusions for sure self-awareness allows us to be conscious of this conditioning and preconceptions of the mind which can form the foundation of freeing the mind from it absolutely and uh, I just put out a one minute Monday this weekend or this Monday around mental pattern interrupts and I talked about self-awareness in that that your your mental patterns that you're you're seeing coming aren't always going to be the same so you're you're jumping on the pattern Uh, And and you want to ride that pattern out because it's the easy thing to do with being more self-aware, whatever the practices you implement that we talk about, it helps you break that pattern and interrupt it quicker. More from Goldman. So in his seminal work, Goldman introduced millions of readers to the concept of emotional intelligence, the uh, amalgamation even of psychological skills and traits that he claims is crucial for life success skills like self-awareness and self-motivation are instilled or destroyed in childhood, but Goldman claims that adults can still learn and apply them. And under self-awareness, feelings are often hidden. Emotional self-awareness requires ongoing attention to your internal states, including your emotions. Awareness is a neutral state that generates self-examination, even during intense emotions. Psychologists John Meyer calls it being aware of both our mood and our thoughts about that mood. And maybe we'll get into the metacognition later. For practical purposes, self-awareness and the ability to change your mood are the same. Emotions can be and often are unconscious as well as conscious. They begin before you rationally are aware of an oncoming feeling. Unconscious emotions can have a powerful effect on your thoughts and reactions. Even though you're not aware of them. When you become conscious of these feelings, then you can evaluate and better control them. Therefore, self-awareness is the foundation for managing emotions, such as being able to shake off a bad mood. Very, very true. How often do you get in a bad mood? How long does it linger? And do you drag that around with you for a couple of hours or days? I know for a fact, uh, in my own circumstances, the length of time I might get pissed off with something has Drastically decreased uh, through developing more self-awareness because I notice quicker that I'm going into that place and I realize it's not going to serve me and there's tools of, of getting out of it, be it writing, be it going for a jog, doing a bit of exercise. If it's after having conflict with somebody, maybe it's taking the higher ground and going back to talk to them and kind of work that through. But It is absolutely uh, better to shorten that mood by doing and taking action. But first of all, the most important thing is to be aware of it for sure. Okay, some more maybe examples and just a bit of a deeper description of self-awareness here. The person who is self-aware possesses a fairly good understanding of how her mind works. She has learned the reasons why she thinks, feels and behaves the way she does. Another term for this is mindfulness and that's interesting a definition for mindfulness. A lot of the time people ask what is mindfulness, how do you be more mindful and that's a a good way of looking at it just being filling your mind with what is going on in it, you're looking at it from a, a different vantage point, I guess, of how it's behaving, what's coming in, and that's if you're probably putting uh, your attention on what's going on in your in your mind. You can obviously put your attention on something else and be mindful of that if it's breathing, or your running cadence, or you can be mindful listening to a piece of music for sure. Anyway, this does not mean the self-aware person has necessarily done away with all her own personal issues and baggage, but she is at the point where they are not ruining their life or running it even. Here's an example. Karen uh, would, would become really flustered and flushed whenever she was meeting somebody unexpectedly on the street or when she had been put on the spot. For a long time, Karen did this with barely an inkling of the reasons why, but eventually she embarked on a journey of self-discovery and the reasons became apparent. Karen grew up in a household where neither the parents nor siblings showed much interest in her or her passions. She learned how to get along by focusing and concentrating much of her attention on herself. Karen wanted very much to be loved and accepted by her family, but no matter how hard she tried, this proved to be an unachievable task eventually Karen learned to believe that she wasn't good enough as a kid. As a result of this Karen accumulated a great deal of emotional pain layered on over the course of number of years uh, in the form of shame which led to that lack of confidence. Fortunately however with the help of her coach Karen was able to learn the reasons why. She discovered the reasons why certain things triggered strong emotional responses and she learned different methods on how to focus her attention. In other words, she became increasingly more self-aware. Does that example bring up anything for you? For me, when I was reading it, you know, I definitely can relate. I think for a long time growing up and even into my 20s, I would get very flushed or, or go red in certain circumstances and and certainly don't do it as much now. And I would link it back to confidence and just self-esteem but I suppose as as I became more and more self aware and tried to pinpoint what, what caused that, many things I suppose when I was was growing up could have could have led to it, but as I became more aware and kind of detached from it and used different tools like a, a modelling tool called A B C D E where you're where you're probably overthinking what people think of you when you're in the spotlight when in fact it's probably not coming across in in the way you think of it at all and start to kind of realize that i found recording myself if i was doing a presentation beforehand would, would give me more confidence because it doesn't look half as bad as you think anyway that's just one example but getting more self-aware putting the time in um putting practice into uh, to reflect is very important Sometimes people can become overly self-aware and veer into what is known as self-consciousness. Have you ever felt like everyone was watching you, judging your actions and wanting what, wanting to see what you do next? The heightened state of self-awareness can leave you feeling awkward and nervous in some instances. In a lot of cases, these feelings of self-consciousness are only temporary and arise in situations when we're in the spotlight. For some people, however, self-consciousness is more serious people who are privately self-conscious have a higher level of private self-awareness, which can be both good and bad. These people tend to be more aware of their feelings and beliefs and are therefore more likely to stick to their personal values. However, they are also more likely to suffer from negative health consequences as increased stress and anxiety. And finally, I suppose for this piece, self-awareness is having a clear perception of your personality including strengths, weaknesses, thoughts, beliefs, and emotions. Self-awareness allows you to understand other people, how they perceive you, your attitude, and your responses to them in the moment. And I think in the moment is the most important thing because if you can tune in in that moment and listen and hear what that person is saying in whatever example you're thinking of and be able to respond with Clarity uh, that is so important. Self awareness is the first step in creating what you want, where you focus your attention, your emotions, reactions, personality, and behavior determines where you go in life. A big statement, but one I would definitely agree with. It's uh, really the foundation of knowing yourself. Okay, maybe talking now a little bit about awareness versus self awareness. Awareness what I've pulled out here is all about understanding your environment. Awareness is being alert and conscious of your environment and as a result, understanding what is happening all around you. It's also fueled by a value like curiosity, which is very important. The more aware somebody becomes, the more they're able to understand new environments quickly. It's important to emphasize this part. Understanding an environment and acting in an environment are very dissimilar it's the main difference between thinkers and doers and consequently the difference between being aware and being self-aware. Self-awareness is around controlling your environment. Self-awareness is one's ability not to be conscious, not only to be conscious and alert in an environment but also to be uh, the ability to understand your purpose within it. When you are self-aware you become capable of manipulating your environment. Manipulating is a word that I've debated on with clients and stuff in sessions and uh, it can be have a negative connotation but anyway it says it here manipulating your environment in your favor working the room perhaps those who have a high level of self-awareness typically end up taking more action than those who simply have awareness if you're aware you're again understanding the environment but if you have that self-awareness you're taking action taking that first step to to move in whatever direction you you want those who are aware may even feel trapped or hopeless in an environment due to the fact that they don't know how to change what's happening around them and there's a term learned helplessness that has come into my mind a bit over the last while and sometimes you're in an environment where you understand it and you almost feel like you can't change it And that's probably a difference between just being aware of something and being self-aware and then knowing how to to make a change. All of this would be pointless if we didn't understand how to transition from being aware to being more self-aware. The way we discover self-awareness is no longer by being a spectator in in our environment, but instead interacting with it. The more we experiment, and experiment is massively important here, Uh, the more we experiment with it, the more likely we are to start getting answers as to how our environment can be controlled. So what one little thing could you do differently in your environment to see what might change, what might happen, to remove that learned helplessness and take a bit more control? Because it is all about taking whatever action you need to take and learning from that. It might work, it might not, but it'll certainly change the situation and certainly give you something to think about, to reflect on, and hopefully to learn from. So you're with me so far, getting something from this, hopefully there's some things that stand out as I read through them and call them out myself, certain things always stick out more than others. Here's a couple of more examples, kind of scenarios that uh, describe self-awareness, how you can become more self-aware. So the first one, when in a board meeting, example, most supervisors typically review your results and discuss improvements or strategies to overcome failure. Their goal is to allow others to learn from your mistakes and to establish themselves as leaders by providing feedback and direction. Most people who are aware realise what is going on in a meeting like this and their awareness allows them to prepare uh, best for that, to dress well, to behave, take notes, etc., But the self-aware people go one step further by having a plan for how they will bounce back from these challenges. Knowing what it is about to happen enables a self-aware person to control what happens next rather than just prepare for it. Have you ever gone into a meeting and got yourself in the best position possible as you thought um, and it didn't go your way and as a result you're kicking yourself afterwards and you you learn definitely from that. And through that, hopefully you then go into the next meeting and maybe preempt some of the questions that are coming, go through scenarios, walk through potential paths the meeting might go down so that you're prepared for it and you're aware of what might come up. And as it comes up, then you're not thrown off, you're not caught off, off guard and you're managing your emotions as these things happen. So it is it is definitely about planning um, and you can the more you plan uh, the, the better it gets. Number two here, someone who is aware would assume they understand social settings, but be unaware of how they are perceived by the person they're analyzing. You may perceive that someone at a bar by themselves is sad, but not ne- not not realize that they've seen they may see you as sleazy and unconfident. By understanding how you are perceived in an environment before you even open your mouth, you can carefully craft an approach that will put the person at ease and allow them to chat with you rather than turn on you or turn you down. Don't just analyze a person's behavior within their environment. Consider their perspective of you in that same environment. So there's a concept of perceptual positions I mentioned a few times before or different hats. And if you're sitting at a different seat in the table uh, in the room, do you see things from different eyes? If you're sitting at your boss's table and you take his chair and imagine the world from his perspective, what different things do you see? You're creating more of an awareness there and ultimately rounding yourself a bit better so that you're more prepared for certain questions or, or challenges that might come your way. Becoming more self-aware requires practice and experimentation. Two very strong words. Taking action, practice makes better, experiment, uh, and know what you're experimenting on. What are you trying to prove when you do this experiment? Are you you know, expecting a certain result? And if that doesn't go your way, then what, what result did you get and how can you change that in the future? The environment is very important and know that when you are testing out these experiments, know what you know, what is in that environment and how you can potentially control it. The best way to transition from being aware to self-aware is by testing out scenarios in different environments until you can adapt to the patterns you see. Very, very useful information. Okay, so one more little section before we wrap up this first part on self-awareness. And uh, hopefully, I say hopefully a lot, I noticed that. Um Let's hope that you are taking something interesting from it. So we talked about awareness versus self-awareness. What about the term consciousness and being self-conscious? Although not obviously exactly the same as self-awareness, it, it's related, there's connections to it, and if it's anything you talk, there's probably books you could write about this if, uh, if you're interested, and there are certainly podcasts probably dedicated to consciousness. But let me just give you a little bit of an example and a few paragraphs around consciousness. Humans are more than just conscious, they are self-aware. Consciousness is awareness of one's body and one's environment. Self-awareness is recognition of that consciousness. Not only understanding that one exists, but further understanding that one is aware of one's existence. Okay, another way of thinking about it is to be conscious is to think, to be self-aware is is to realize that you're a thinking or you're a thinking being and to think about your thoughts so it's that kind of next level it's the meta of thinking the 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 way you're aware that I'm thinking And, and a lot of the times when you meditate and mindfulness go into this it's not about putting your thoughts onto just one thing and kind of focusing in on that and then getting rattled because all these other things are coming in. It's about stepping back from that and knowing all these random thoughts are coming in. There's so many, you know, whatever, 80,000 thoughts a day that come in and very few of them we completely control. If I said the pink elephant right now, that's put into your mind and you don't you don't control that. And I think a lot of times people need to separate and realize that a lot of the stuff that comes into their Consciousness and their stream of thought uh, is just madness uh, a lot of time, and not to get catched onto that or latched onto it, and uh, not to allow them to to pull away from there. And that's self awareness, right? So that's you're aware, you're realizing that. I'm thinking right now. There's loads of things going through. I'm not my thoughts. Very important. Infants are conscious. They respond to people and things around them. But they are not self aware and I'm thinking about my one year old about when we're when we're talking about this here during the first years of their life, they develop a sense of self learn to recognize themselves in the mirror and to distinguish their own point of view from other people's perspectives. Only later on in life, around three or four do they become self aware of their reactions so they're blissfully self Uh, they don't have that self-awareness and that's probably a state of bliss for for a long time because maybe when you have self-awareness it can not always be positive if you, like here, become self-conscious and that can bring its own challenges. When you are self-conscious it feels like you're on stage and every moment and every step you take is being scrutinized by the audience. Imagine being out with your mates and enjoying a, a day out chatting away and having fun. All of a sudden one of them from the group asks you a question and everybody looks at you and goes quiet and you know maybe that's an interview scenario or presentation how do you deal with it how, how how are you able to feel with that for for that split second your brain is bombarded with a overdose of adrenaline and ceases to function in a way that allows you to focus on the question it's just flooded and you're I guess, caught in headlights in some instances. It's as if your spotlight has been turned on you and the rest of the room light dims. Your cheerful and easygoing nature up to a few seconds ago has completely vanished. And in those moments, the only thing you can think about is what you are going to say. And if it sounds stupid and you are, will your mates believe you are, are you kind of under this pressure and your credibility potentially is even up in the air? Whereas reality is very different. They are more interested, if they ask you a question, what your knowledge is on this topic and experience about it. They're hardly paying attention to your inner dialogue. Of course, they certainly can't hear it. And I definitely get into that scenario if you're in a room and as a natural introvert, maybe not as chatty as everybody else when they're talking about certain topics. And then if the question comes around to you and it's your turn to maybe give some input or insights, you're so self-conscious, you want to make sure what you say doesn't sound stupid and you're overthinking it because if you were one of the other people in the room would you really put so much emphasis on what that person is going to say are you going to s- stick on every single word or are you just too busy thinking about your own things anyway probably the case so I think we overthink things definitely basically what happened to you in those moments to the example above that your focus and attention was on the group uh, had shifted to yourself in other words, you become self-conscious of your every step, word, or action. A self-conscious person is someone who is consumed with the thoughts of self, who, in the presence of other people, constantly wonder what the other person is thinking or commenting on about them. They're very much uh, in, a, in a state of wondering what's going on and why is everybody looking at me. For a person who is self-conscious, the focus of attention gets stuck on him or herself self-conscious mode. In those moments you want to be able to pay attention to the topic and to be completely involved in the conversation. Instead you are detached from yourself by being too locked up in your own head. We're up in our own heads an awful lot of the time. Unlike most other people whose focus is outward, for the self-conscious person their focus is inward. Everybody else lives their life most unconsciously and with the, with ease but for the person who struggles with inferiority it isn't that way. Everything in their lives revolves around them because that is where their focus is. They're looking inward too much and thinking that's all that matters. One of the outward manifestations of self-consciousness is blushing. And I definitely mentioned about blushing and flushing uh, earlier on and was something that uh, definitely was a problem for me and definitely has improved uh, and maybe that's as part of as I read through this it becomes clearer that uh, I was too self-conscious at the time too self-conscious um, in a negative way the more you blush the more self-conscious you become and you're worrying about blushing and in turn increases an inten- and a tendency to blush more and more I always remember when I was in school if I felt if anyone accused me of doing something wrong in front of the class and teacher and I would blush I could, I could have been uh, guilty of what, whatever the hell they said because it would make me look like it was. I was more thinking about God I hope somebody doesn't point me out for something I didn't do and the cycle would would r- 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 go round and round a vicious circle in lots of ways. Because, just back to this, a blushing, because it is a habit, a learned behavior, it can be unlearned. By eliminating any underlying reason for your blushing behavior, such as an old embarrassing incident and building self-confidence and inner belief, you can leave your blushes behind you. And that again would be if you are giving a presentation or giving a lecture or talk or Talking about a topic that you absolutely believe in, that you have a passion for, and that you have certain levels of interest in at all, it'll it'll help. You will probably blush less and care less of what other people are thinking because you believe in it, and that definitely comes across. I remember starting the podcast a few years ago, and some of the first episodes as I was starting recording like I am now on my own solo recording and doing intros I remember I could feel flushed and blushed just talking to myself and listening to my voice backwards and uh, or back and and trying to edit it and now I'm not I'm obviously a lot more comfortable in it I have a confidence that I I know I can talk for a while and believe in what I'm talking about and that definitely is a progress for for me. So if I can do it, definitely you can too. Self-consciousness is often associated with shyness and embarrassment, in which case a lack of pride and low esteem can result. Self-consciousness affects people in varying degrees, and as some people are constantly self-monitoring, while others are completely oblivious about themselves, it can affect people in different ways. So that's just a read-through and examples of consciousness and self-consciousness and I would love to know the self-consciousness piece a lot came up for me as I was reading that because it was so very much applicable to, to scenarios or situations or times in my life where these things were challenging the good news is you can relearn and learn new behaviors and unlearn old ones and through coaching and maybe some counseling if need be you can look back as to to what the problem was why it's happening but coaching is very much forward looking counseling is looking backwards With coaching you can put actions in place to learn a new behavior and get away from the the blushing and embarrassment that comes with being overly self-conscious so yeah so look I leave this one there Uh, we got through a good bit the next part of this Uh, self-awareness two-parter is all about why self-awareness is important the benefits and we'll get into some other concepts and then end with some how-tos how to become more self-aware which i'm sure is the part you're keen to listen to and uh, take some action on thanks for listening and hopefully the little eq series ei series that uh, we're putting together as in What has been put together so far is going down well. Thanks so much. Good luck. Hey folks, thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that a little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. You could also repost it on your social media channels. Any of them would be great. And maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone. Pick up the phone, give them a call and tell them about the 1% Better podcast. Tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past. And will do. I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% better Slack community, which you can join for free and interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record and share, the better I believe that they get and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you ...on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy, but only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher... The listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard, but it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan. Be deliberate. Take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements and over time you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.